Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Decimalprod.com comic book podcast. As always, I'm dead. Today we have Birdie. Good morrow. Yeah, I have nothing really to transition into stuff we're talking about. So last week, Birdie talked about the new Dial H for Hero. Yeah. And Which the new issue of came out this week, I think. Uh, yes, I have not read that one yet. And I do have a sneeze stuck and or coming. So that's just fucking really annoying right now. It'll be a fun. There it goes. Yeah, fuck. I would say it would be a fun time bomb for the show. Yeah, just just me talking and then getting ready. It's like, all right, when's it coming? When's it coming? When's it coming? I think it's gone. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I am also basically caught up. I just haven't read this week's stuff. Yep. But anyway, uh, yeah, so reading that issue one, uh, it's good. Yeah. It's also just kind of weird. And I mean weird for... Dial H, just with the amount of... Dial H is standard, yeah. Yeah, so... If you didn't hear us talk about last week, basic idea for Dial H, a series that has been around since, like, the Silver Age, I think? Yeah, no, 1966, Silver Age. Yeah, with the basic idea being someone, random person, gets either a full phone or or just the rotary dial of a phone. And if you dial... H-E-R-O, the fucking hex, the fucking, like, keypad code for that. You, whoever, the person dialing, will be turned into a random superhero. The amount of time it takes, the amount of time you're able to stay in that form, varies from series to series. Uh, the exact look and function of the H-dial varies from series to series, but the main idea of it is just, hey, person gets thing, let's see what weird shit we can come up with. And for the most part, a lot of the time it is it is like riffs on either certain eras or certain characters specifically. Um, just kind of random stuff that the guy, the person writing just fucking pooped out. Or very occasionally, just heroes people know. Yeah. I think there was that one time um, someone became the Flash. Yeah, and then I think like in a early like a very early issue or series, uh, one person turned into Superman. Yeah, I don't remember that one. That was probably before the series I've read. Oh, yeah. Th- I'm talking about, like, th- this was back, like, around when it was, like, fucking Robbie. Or Robbie Raymond or whatever the fuck his name is. The guy who fucking... The main kid who people associate with the dial. But anyway, uh, so... Yeah, with this new series, I believe written by Sam Humphreys. Yes. With art by... Somebody whose name escapes me. I'm looking at it right now. Quinones, I think. Uh, something Quinones. Yep, because some fucking reason they put the credits page at the back of the goddamn book. Yep, I had this problem last time. Yep, Joe Quinones. Uh, yeah, that's a name I've seen kind of floating around. And so, uh, yeah, it was a new series. Uh, we got our new kid, Miguel. His parents uh-huh. are dead. His uncle runs a mayonnaise-based food truck. Yes. Because, because, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so he has a, he has a, 
you know, genuine love of superheroes. <laughs> heroes after Superman saved his life as a kid. And he's doing all the other shit. And then, whoops, he fucking jumped a cart off a goddamn cliff. You talked about it last time where, like, he is, where he said that he was, you know, risk, where, where he would, like, go for these, like, death-defying things, but because of the situation that he was in when he was younger, he was, like, it's less stupid shit. And I didn't really get that from this. It just kind of seemed like when he fucking met Superman, it was just like, oh, and then from there, just stupid shit all the way. Because like looking at looking at this thing specifically, it wasn't like there was like a bunch of kids around like standing around like, yeah, yeah, do it. Jump. It was just kind of, hey, here's a ramp. I have a cart. Let's see what happens. And it doesn't really, it didn't really like lend itself to that, to, I guess, what I had put on the character based on what you had said. Yeah. Well, part of the problem is it kind of rushes to it too fast. Oh yeah, it like this, this it first feels, issue like, doesn't have great pacing. Yeah, like I didn't really I was so befuddled by the weirdness the first time that I didn't have time to like break it down structurally, but like the last half of the book is relatively slow compared to how much shit they just speed through without developing much in the first half. So the pacing is kind of uneven and from what I've seen of like previews of the second book, it's trying to course correct for that with him trying to develop characters now but it's a little it, it's like constant stop start herky jerky and it doesn't necessarily work because it it's not stop start st- complete stop okay now we're gonna it's always like high speed or no speed at all yeah like like just thinking about it now like going, like going back in the thing of it it is we had a couple pages of him as a kid almost drowning and meeting superman then a single page of the next five to ten years. Yep. And then the and then the amount of, and then there's like and then a couple pages of hey here's where he is now just in that one location essentially. It is right where the fucking mayo food truck is where he's like yeah we got fucking mayo ice cream sandwiches we got fucking we got fucking corn dogs dipped in mayonnaise that are made out of mayonnaise to stick itself with mayonnaise and then. Our other so main character, friends to make mayonnaise-based poutine. Yeah, and then our other main character is outside going, "The fuck's up with the mayo?" And he's like, "My uncle's a fucking weirdo," and his, and his uncle's yelling at him, "Yo, clean out the fucking mayo traps before you go out and do anything." I fucking took you in because your parents are fucking dead. And fuck you, yeah. Thanks, Uncle Douche Exposition. <laughs> yeah. Then he's out of the track. And he fucking jumps on the thing, and that thing immediately falls apart, and he is just fucking falling. Gets the H-dial out of nowhere. <laughs> Which point he picks up the phone, and the phone goes like, hey. Yeah, and not and not like uh, he finds it. No, there is, a, there is a multi-panel layup leading to a flash of light, and the phone is there. Which point he picks up the phone, and the guy, the guy on the other end is like, hey, yeah, fucking dial, dial the H. Do it. Do it, you nerd. At which point he does, and the next like seven pages or something are like a rip on old like mid nineties image. Yeah, and I and I mean the entire thing, even the art style, same guy. 
but it switches to the coloring and the and the actual art style itself of those old fucking those old days of the pouch and the no feet. Yeah. As as he's talking about like he's talking about like yeah my heart's the engine as it revs it pumps the fuel of blood through my veins. And I d- is like the there's a is there like, isn't there like a fight scene in this bit or is that just like part of the promo package of the guy he turns into? I can't tell. Like there is a fight scene drawn, but I can't tell if it's like somehow related to him or if because that's the other thing. Like I said, because Dial H keeps changing the rules, I have no idea how this works. Like, I mean, right before that, they showed you the panel of all the people suddenly getting the letter four on their embed, number four embedded on their foreheads with a giant, and Alfred's like, oh, it's happening again, sir. You you told me to warn you if this happens again. Okay, so I, reading through it again, uh, in a very bizarre shirking of trends, this guy actually does have feet. And from what I could see, no pouches, which is odd. But yeah, from the looks of it, just reading it again, it is, it is, he fuck, he like dials, he dials up the H dial, and then it, then it gives him a backstory of the fucking truck shit, of the guy he turned into, um, monster truck. Monster truck, yeah, monster truck. And that's the backstory, at which point he jumps out of the canyon and goes to a... Goes to a junkyard where he's just beating cars. At least when the cops yell, Hey, fucking stop blowing shit up, you asshole. He runs. Girl saves him. At which point the phone rings and introduces us to the main hook of the series with the introduction of the operator, uh, the naming of the Heroverse, which was just kind of the multiverse beforehand, and also the idea of the Thunderbolt Club. A group of people coming to take the H doll for themselves. Yep. Which they build upon and the preview for the next issue. Yeah, this is this is kind of some of the weirdness that I would expect from a from like a dial, dial H, H series, but it's not super well put together. Yeah, no, like I'm okay with the concept because, like we both said, Dial H keeps changing the rules. Yeah, but um, no, it's not. A, it feels like it has to both rush through the construction of a typical Dial H narrative way faster than it really should. Well, because like if I think back on like the first issue of uh, the 2012 series, like yeah, he becomes a Dial H hero by the end of the first issue but one that first issue is a little over long to allow for that yeah which is another common thing that this thing doesn't do and two the first the whole like the dial h thing is not introduced or even established much until the next issue like he just uses it the first issue yeah it's ma- yeah, the first issue is mainly spent introducing us to our main guy like like the entirety of it is introducing us to like nelson is his name yeah, Nelson Gent. Yeah, just introduced us to Nelson, introduced us to the situation, and leading up to him getting the dial, becoming the fucking smokestack guy, and then and then it stops, and he's like, what the fuck? Just, just a real robot man moment. 
But then with this, we we don't really have a good grasp on our main character other than, hey, superheroes are awesome. I hate my uncle because he's a cunt. I'm gonna go jump this. Vo- I'm gonna yeah, go, I'm gonna go jump like this gorge, Homer Simpson style. Like they, like they do a couple of panels that introduce character beats, but they don't do enough with them to make it actual characterization or character development. So it's just like shorthand beats, kind of like. I don't want to compare this to this because I like this much better than the movie I'm about to mention, but it kind of feels like the Venom movie. Okay. Because, like, within 15 minutes, they have the symbiotes crash, have the symbiotes escape, establish Eddie as a edgy, always-get-the-job-done journalist, establish his girlfriend, have him do something stupid, have him lose his job, have him lose his girlfriend. And I just fucking watch that movie still. It's kind well, of don't well okay don't need to more feel the need to see the death of this fucking franchise before it even starts. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not dead. They're going to make a sequel because it made so much money, and because of that, they're also going to make a, a Michael Morbius movie for some reason. Yeah, fucking uh, Jared Leto stars as Morbius, living vampire. You loved him in the you loved him in the Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. I get ready honestly, for I got ready for thirty seconds to Mars's next big role as your spooker woker vampire man. I think the big thing, um, like if I may borrow your one of your catchphrases, the the big thing you're gonna take away from watching Venom if you watch it is oh oh honey, because <laughs> it's just kind of pathetic. Yeah, I've seen I've seen clips of it. I've seen. I have seen the scene that everyone shits on. Like which one? There's so many. You see on my planet, Eddie, I'm a bit of a loser. Wait, say that again. You see on my planet, Eddie, I'm a bit of a loser. Yeah. I'm a loser like you. Yeah. Just that's, that's what you want your hero to be. It's like, Hey, on my home world, I fucking suck. Yeah. But out here I can maybe suck less. Yeah. And you see, that's not my favorite scene in the movie. My favorite scene is close to the end, and you've probably seen people meme this too, when one of the cast just looks at Eddie and goes, I'm sorry about Venom. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that too. <laughs> yep, that's just... That is self-aware writing if I've ever heard it. Or contemptuous writing. I'm not sure if the producers were self-aware, but... Oh, the producers weren't the writer. Like, It would be hilarious if that line was ad-libbed. Just on set, the guy just like, I'm sorry about Venom. And then literally everyone except the producers caught on to what it was. And the producers is just like, it's too busy, like sexually harassing someone to really get the, to really get the joke. They were just like, yeah, fucking run with it. Let's go fucking edit yeah. this. We're going to get this shit printed. <sighs> yeah, but it's just kind of hilariously pathetic. Yeah, this new Dial H is not bad by any stretch. It's just not super well paced. Yeah, like it's not a strong start. And as another series that I talked about recently was an example of, some series don't have strong starts. They have strong middles and ends. So maybe that'll be the case. Like if this turns around as much as um, Hulk, Immortal Hulk did, where they now have uh, 
the idea that their connection to the to gamma hell means anyone who's been infected with gamma energy can't die. <laughs> Whenever they die, they come back as some different, slightly deformed gamma mutant. Like currently, uh, Betty uh, Betty Ross is a lizard-tailed bird person. Gamma radiation. Gamma hell. Gamma Christ, this is this fucking. Yeah, just put gamma in front of anything, and then fuck. It's like that. It's like that joke about Ant Man. Just you guys just put gamma yes. in front of everything and thinks that make things that make things make sense. Anyway, yeah. So that's Dial H. Not a strong start, but I'm gonna keep with it just because I really like the artist, I like the writer, and I like the concept. Yeah. Okay. So I haven't read the entirety of the sequel to Sunstone Mercy. I've read just the first collected volume, which I don't know how well you remember the story, but goes up to about where uh, it's for those who don't know uh, one, you should read Sunstone because it's awesome. Yeah. But also be aware that Sunstone is a bit of a porn comic. Yeah, no, it's, it's very cool. It's a fetish romance comic. Yeah, like it's a romance comic with two with people that have specific fetishes. It's about BDSM lesbians, pretty distinctly. Yeah, and in the case of uh, this series, it's both. It's a series of prequels. Well, like it's to, but it's it's both prequels to the original story because they lead up to where things were at the start of the original Sunstone, but also, and essentially just telling the whole story leading up to the point where. Uh, our main character from the from the original Sunstone book, Allie, is writing down essentially like a life story of a couple who are both their friends. Uh, Liz is writing the story. Oh, right. Allie's the uh, Dom. Sorry. Yeah. So I guess just for something. So original story, um, Allie, a Dom, uh, Liz, a sub, they both met each other through Liz's erotic writings on the internet. And then they're just like, hey. Well, fuck. See what happens, and then from there, it kind of develops like a friendship and a real relationship. Yeah, like neither of them expected when they started doing the BDSM stuff to get their rocks off that they would actually develop a relationship. Which is why I love that one of the final images of the original Sunstone story is uh, Liz in a uh, pantsuit wedding dress carrying Allie. Yep. And so, and so in that story, uh, two of our two like of the main supporting cast. Uh, were Alan and Anne? Yes. Yeah, Alan was Alan was um a Alan was the guy who designed most of uh Liz's no Allie's uh BDSM gear. Yeah, long like, time that's fr- how they met. Yeah, long time friend of hers, doing all kinds of shit. And so the main like narrative structure of Sunstone was it was years after these events. And it was and it was Liz sitting down to write a book about their lives. And so with this new story, it is telling the story of Alan and Anne. Because they had had yeah. a relationship prior to Sunstone and then also near the end and after Sunstone. Yeah. With the implication being that at the end of this Sunstone sequel, they're much more likely a long-term devoted couple. So, But we'll see how that goes. Like I haven't read the whole thing. Don't spoil it for me, please. I haven't read the whole thing either. I kind of I okay. I fell off of it after the first volume too. Okay, 
But, um, so, like, currently Alan's story is is also a prequel to Sunstone because they're essentially going into the storyline that Alan hinted at during Sunstone where he and Allie were both BDSM enthusiasts who were stuck in a world that did not want them to really let them indulge in their sexual fantasies. So when they discovered each other after some awkward first introductions and stuff, they eventually indulged in it. But when things got complicated, when they both like, like they don't go into it in this first volume, but considering where it goes, I'm curious to see how they illustrate this, this the bit where Allie and Alan both discover that they're both doms and that neither of them feels all that comfortable being the sub in a relationship so that they just don't work as a couple. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, this. So this is this is a, this is a book by a long time. Uh, uh, Sajic. Yes, my man. Yes, a boy. Yeah, both him and his wife. I love them both. <laughs> yeah, so so we've both been longtime fans of theirs, um, and this is one of his kind of passion projects. Yeah, he's like, like he released this. He releases this panel by panel on his DeviantArt page, but now he's, like, collecting them and releasing them as releasable volumes. And he's making money off them, so, you know, yeah, kudos, man. Yeah. I, I would not have thought a couple of years ago that you could make money off selling a fetish romance comic, but... Yeah, much love nice to Top to Cow one. for being visionaries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something nobody had ever thought they would ever say about Top Cow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's this is this I one mean, is interesting. Like uh because it is technically the story of two relationships. Yes. Both of which I, are doomed. Yeah, we know they're doomed, but it's like just like the sun just like how with Sunstone we wanted because we know the ending, we want to see how it goes through the motions. I'm curious to see how these stories played out because whereas uh, Alan is finally getting a chance in his story to explore BDSM and his own kinks with someone who is hot and also interested in the same things he is, uh, Anne is discovering that her love of cheesy cheesy rock metal uh, led, led, led her to a lesbian relationship with an older woman, which started off somewhat... Uh, Hilariously, with her trying to buy her a drink, at which point the bar keep cards her. <laughs> Let's see. Hey, let me buy you a drink. And the guy's like, yeah, no, no. Hey, let me give you money for a drink. <laughs> oh, man, how's it doing? <sighs> so, yeah. I mean, I still love the art. I mean, that's why I'm here. Like, it's weird to say this, but... uh I appreciated that they showed penis. Like I'm not homosexual or anything, but I, when I'm so used to, to like, as someone who has experimented with porn stuff before, there's often this tendency to like shy away from male nudity. No, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of like, yeah, it's a lot of lady bits out in the open and then dudes kind of like silhouetted in shadow. Yeah. So it feels much more, real if that makes any sense yeah no no, i get it it's 
it's not shy, it's not shying away from what sex is just because just because dudes just because a lot of dudes are like oh, don't show me your dick that's gay yeah but yeah uh, I still love this first volume I encourage every well read Sunstone first yeah like, it, it's all collected now read it, all of it yeah please. Sunstone is kind of required reading to get into Mercy. Yeah, no, like this, this, you can't read, this is very much a, I know it's technically a prequel, but a sequel series because for any of this to make any sense and have any emotional impact at all, you have to have read Sunstone. So that's a required reading to read this, but Sunstone is really good and it's collected easily in five easily accessible volumes. So, you know, go, go, go read it and go read it. And if you want to like, Dip your toe in before, like, actually straight up buying a porn book. Uh, yeah, it's all on, like, Stunstone is all on the fucking uh, DeviantArt. Yeah, uh, I can't remember Stephen Sajic's uh, DeviantArt page. Shiny is. S-H-I-N-I-E-Z. But yeah, um, I like Mercy, mainly because I still like Sunstone. Yeah. And nothing's changed on that. <laughs> So yeah, uh, I recommend it because I recommended all of Sunstone. I read all of Sunstone. I'm going to read all of this. It's just, it was one of those day one. I didn't even know it had come out day one purchases things. So yeah. All righty then. So then moving right along. Um, you might remember back when, when I, myself and Nico kind of started talking about the uh, Doomsday Clock book that's currently going on in D.C., which just got a massive, awesome delay. Yeah, yeah. Despite starting, like, what, two, three months before Heroes in Crisis, Heroes in Crisis is now going to end, like, four months before it does? At least. DC Comics, ladies and gentlemen. They're a well-run ship. Yep. But anyway, um, yeah, when, when that first came out, uh, Nico and I both kind of talked about how it was trying to do the Watchmen thing of taking the political tone from the time and how Nico and I both really appreciated that in Watchmen because we were a few years removed from that stuff. Yeah. Like 30. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just smidge. And so getting into modern day political tone while living in the modern day is, was a bit much. Yep. And so with my next book, you might it there could potentially be an argument of a similar kind of thing because my next book is about Nazis. Yeah. Because for some reason in 20 goddamn 19, Nazis are on the come up. Yeah, I was actually I was what was I, oh yeah, my mom was watching Hogan's Heroes on TV recently. And I had to resist the urge to make the joke. Man, why do I live in a time where people would say Hogan's Heroes is offensive? Yeah. Yeah, fuck. Oh, that's bad. That That's... Yeah, fuck. God damn it. Uh, but yeah, so... The, the thing I'm talking about uh, is Freedom Fighters. The greatest of goofy concepts. Yeah, so DC which- Comics... Has had, did, did you ever read Batman Brave of the Bolt? Did you ever watch Batman Brave of the Bolt? Uh, I have not. Okay, one of the one of the uh, 
episodes of it featured uh, comedy Batman joining with Uncle Sam and Uncle Sam using the powers of America to empower Batman to fight a scorpion man alien. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so just just imagine Batman's like 60s costume but with like Captain America sprinkled all over it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, the basic idea for the Freedom Fighters is so they were made in uh the 70s with the idea of them being the idea of it being that it's it's set in a world where Nazis have taken over America. They won World War II through various means and are currently and are, and are like occupying and in charge of America. But luckily, there's a group of people out there that are trying to stop them. They are out there fighting the good fight, trying to keep the spirit of America alive. And yeah, so this yes, yeah, so the uh, this 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 book in particular, this latest iteration, um, is uh, written by Rob Venditti uh, with art by Eddie Barrows, and it is a bit more of a it's a twelve issue maxi series, and it's a bit more of a uh like underdog story of it, as even more so than the than the like underdog story of. Uncle Sam in America, Uncle Sam in Nazi-controlled America actually is. Uh, because Uncle Sam is not even around right now. Like, not until issue four of this 12-issue series does Uncle Sam show up at all. Well, that's brave. He's the most... I mean, I like a lot of the other characters in the Freedom Fighters, but he's the, easily the most recognizable. For obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... Uncle Sam in the DC universe is literally the spirit of America. So long as someone out there is fucking singing America, the beautiful or whatever, or fucking sees a, sees a bald eagle. and it's a fucking half chub. So long as that happens, uncle Sam lives. And yeah. So, and, and people know about this like like the nazis they know about uncle sam and it's not just oh propaganda it's like oh yeah this is an actual thing we need to stop from coming back so anytime we need to stop the we need to stop the power of america from resurfacing yeah and so they are going Release out of their chan yeah they're going out of their way they are like it, like it's illegal to wear red white and blue in the same outfit so like so like in in issue four uh, the issue actually ends with a Nazi fucking rolling up on some dude who is wearing blue overalls, a white dress shirt, and a and a fucking red cap, and it's like that's fucking that's fucking legal asshole, and just bitch slaps him before Uncle Sam comes out of a beam of light and punches him in the face. Which that's we keep. I have. Gone out of my goddamn way to try to not make this goddamn website get any kind of political. Cause I sure because I don't want to really I don't want to like put anyone under the bus you, for this you, stuff. You, but you don't want to make us social justice warriors and thus invite the hatred. <laughs> well, not just that. It's just I don't have enough grasp of like any kind of anything about politics to give an informed opinion. And I Oh, I do. <laughs> okay. You remember what my um, 
job is, right? History. Yep. Okay. But yeah, like, I was uncomfortable talking about politics stuff. Don't want that near my goddamn entertainment. But unfortunately, I'm not allowed to have fun. Nope, as long as Nazis exist, we're not allowed to have fun. Unless we shoot them in the face. Or in this case... Can John Wick shoot Nazis in the face? Can that be the plot of John Wick 3 when that comes out? Well, I mean, his dog is brown. So potentially, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, the current lineup of the Freedom Fighters is uh, Doll, Woman, the Human Bomb, uh, some fucking nerd named Cash, and uh, Jesse Owens, the track runner from the from like the yeah, the guy who outran the Nazis at the Nazi Olympics. Yeah, and uh, Black Condor, who may or may not be Jesse Owens. I don't know. It's it's been a couple of months in between issues, and I have the memory of a fucking goldfish. Fair. But yeah, like, like the, the first issue starts out with like a like there's like a protest happening on like a college campus because even with the damn Nazis in control, those gosh darn liberal education, that gosh darn liberal education system can't fucking something, something, something stupid. Something, something white power, something, something not racist. <laughs> no, no, like they're the like college kids are out there protesting Nazis, despite the fact that Nazis control the world and so the Nazis control the world some of their death bots sure because they have them yeah who are just like I I played uh, Wolfenstein yeah they just roll up and go and go hey yo what up blap and they just fucking fire lasers at him and stuff at which point the freedom fighters show up and beat the shit out of these goddamn robots and then throw a bunch of flyers in the air saying hey y'all Freedom ain't we want free, you but it, to believe in America. Yeah, freedom ain't dead, but it ain't free. Fucking woo! It throws up a bunch of fucking flyers and then bamfs out of there. And yeah, there's actually a surprising amount of world building that's going on with this. Sounds like it. I kind of want to read this. No, I, I mean not even just with these guys. I mean like with the actual Nazis themselves, because there is time has passed and. So Nazis have actually kind of become like a, like, like there's been like development within the Nazis. Like the current, the current Fuhrer is actually the son of Adolf Hitler. Who became Fuhrer after his dad fucking died of a heart attack. Because I think in like issue two or three, we see like, yeah, we beat the fucking freedom fighters. Uncle Sam's dead. At which point, uh, Adolf Hitler, who's like old and decrepit in a wheelchair with an oxygen tank. Just goes, my dick's turning, and then dies. At which point, every Nazi in the room then just fucking seek Heils for the new Hitler. And meanwhile, his I meanwhile, his kid, whose name is Adolf Hitler Jr. or whatever, he calls him Addy. Uh, he's like a serial killer and a cannibal. Cause you know, Nazis. Remember all those stories about cannibal Nazis? Ah, good old days. When Nazis were monsters, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, so he like he like hires he essentially brings in his son to track down and kill the freedom fighters. 
And with issue, and with issue four, like the bald eagle is essentially an extinct species. But then while while out on patrol, a bunch of fucking kids, like a bunch of fucking like young Nazi youths out there for military training, spot a bald eagle and shoot it out of the sky going, fucking sick. Can you can you imagine our, the face on our fucking commanding officers when they find out I have a stuffed bald eagle in my bedroom? And later they are tortured and killed for their troubles. And yeah, Uncle Sam fucking punches his way out of his grave. America's not dead yet, son. Yeah, like it's kind of a great thing. Like, he, like he, like so he pops out of the grave after the Freedom Fighters blow up Nazi Mount Rushmore because you know, sure, yeah, and uh, yeah, like he, like he pops out of his grave and goes to up to a tombstone and go up to go goes to a cemetery where the. Where, like, the rights on the Bill of Rights are also dead. Like, like freedom, like, your, like, like your right of freedom of speech, your right uh, to, peace, to peaceful assembly, your right to bear arms, all those are also dead. With their own tombstones as Uncle Sam pops out. And, and like, even other countries are also dead. Like, like, a. Like as he pops out, he walks up and is like, "Oh, my friends are gone. Marianne, Hispania, Johnny Canuck, and Britannia." Who he states that despite having a rocky relationship, he still respected her. At which point he tries to like, you know, like does like the Hulk Hogan hand up to the ear, trying to listen out, trying to hear the fucking call of old glory to bring him back. Which point he pops back into the world and punches a Nazi in the face. This book is fucking weird, and I kind of love it. Yeah, it sounds kind of cool, actually. Yeah, it is. This is essentially... This is essentially superhero fucking Wolfenstein. Just ultimate history. I believe it's Earth 10 now in, like, the Grant Morrison multiverse thing. But still, just this idea of... The literal embodiment of the of the American dream coming to life to literally kick a Nazi in the balls. That's just a fucking funny idea. And with today being today, <laughs> it is gratifying to see something this just straightforward. Yeah. Not trying to kowtow, not not trying to be fucking PC about anything, just Nazis are bad. Let's punch them. Which I can appreciate. Yeah, Freedom Fighters. Television Max series, currently issue four issues of, out, are, of, of it are out at a time of recording, I believe. Might have been a new one this week. But yeah, if you get a chance, check it out. It is solid. So anyway. So speaking of topics that shouldn't be controversial, but apparently are, Pale Horse is the story of a African-American Union soldier killing Confederates. Okay, I'm us. So 
Pale Horse, that's is that still like referencing death? Well, yeah, uh, Pale Horse in this in the context specifically refers to his half Indian son because uh, white <laughs> Southerners killed his uh, Indian wife. <laughs> Wait, what? So it- yeah, so Cole it, it, and so uh, there's a there's a lot of Sioux people in this specifically, but. Uh, uh, the Sioux leader, Raging uh, Sitting Bull, refers to Cole, our main character, as Black Shadow, but uh, Dark Shadow. I'm sorry, slightly less racist, uh, but refers to his son as Pale Horse, in reference to uh, a verse he learned from the Christian Bible: "Behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death." Well, okay then. Yeah, like. The weirdest thing about this is that it, while it's it's kind of like Tarantino exploitation-y, because essentially Pale Horse is just going through history and happens to be involved. Like he happens to randomly get into a a gunfight. Like the per, the first person that uh, his evil arch nemesis sends against him just happens to be John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and the guy that uh, Cole is trying to kill, uh, John Shepard, is a Confederate spy in the Union Army, who he then executes uh, at the Battle of Appomattox as General Lee is surrendering to General Grant. Okay, that means something to someone. Probably you. Appomattox was the last battle of the Civil War before the Confederacy surrendered to the South. Yeah, I... Eh. I don't give a shit about American history. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean... Like, Cole is not that that interesting of a character. Like, he's very elemental. Like, his whole thing is, you fuck with me, you die. You kill my wife, I kill you harder. <laughs> okay. Uh, you mouth off to me, I shoot you in the mouth. Fair. <laughs> like, most of the gore scenes are not all that original, but one of my favorite ones is when this mouthy southerner uh, gets off on him. Like, multiple words, it's like, Look, it's bad enough that you're a black man in the South. You also have to bring that half-engine piece of crap in here. At which point he sh- he shoots him in the mouth and then attempts to gargle and spe- gargle blood and speak while he has a bullet in his mouth. Right, yeah, the past. Yep, 1860. Like I said, literally during the, civil- the American Civil War. Yeah, the past is terrible. Yeah, don't go to the past. It's not fun. Just... Just don't go to any year, I guess, before, like, 1987. Yeah. Because it's probably trash. Yeah, so this was the uh, exchange that led to the guy being shot in the mouth. You just killed three white men. No, it didn't. Men don't rape and murder women. A white man has more right to live than your damn engine whore. Blam. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. The past sucks. Yeah, the past sucks. And 
Predator kind of sucks too because I well, I have been uh, looking up news for stuff and god damn it I want more motherfucking Black Sad. We'll get there eventually, hopefully. But anyway, the rest of the story is just equal parts uh, Cole being a bounty hunter with a bounty on his head because he just keeps returning bounties to the one guy who knows him who is corrupt enough to take a share off of his bounty in exchange for not turning him in. And then Southern Gentleman conspiring against the Union and John Wilkes Booth bemoaning that assassinating Lincoln did not lead to the destruction of the Union. <laughs> you just figured the gun trigger was like an off button? Yeah, let me just, see. Just, I press this, the Union shuts off. Six Semper Tyrannus and whatever. Yeah, here's the, it's like, I don't understand. I rid the world of that damnable tyrant Lincoln and that they chastised me as a butcher. Cretans. I refuse to believe anybody truly loved Lincoln. His death will revive the South. <laughs> oh, God. Fucking people, this, man. This is kind of fun for its, like, self-insert indulgent insanity. Uh-huh. Like, he, like Cole ends up, after, after um, Booth assassinates Lincoln... Just tracking him down and shooting him in the throat. <laughs> After, of course, uh, John Wilkes Booth's last lines being, You would murder me for killing a tyrant? You belong in chains. Who are you to deny what God has given us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. Like, Confederates are evil, but they're kind of adorably evil. Yeah. Just oh, you don't know how the world works. That's so. That's so sweet. You don't see the context of your actions. You believe all the bullshit. It's adorable. Yeah, the South will rise again. Sure, it will, sweetie. Here, take yeah. a, here. Have a fucking brownie. I'm, I hear the kids outside are having a lynching. But yeah, I get the impression that this book didn't sell well, considering I got it for two bucks in a rummage sale. Uh, maybe not. It's currently uh, currently eight bucks on Comixology and part of their Comixology Unlimited. Yeah, but here, here's the sale note on the copy I own: was three dollars and ninety seven cents. Now two dollars. Well, okay then. <laughs> it is also yeah. nine years old. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I don't recognize like I've like Boom Studios stuff. I don't recognize as often, but I don't recognize any of the people involved in this. Like Andrew Cosby is the right uh, the story creator. Michael Allen Nelson is the writer. The artist Christian Debari. I don't recognize any of these people. Yeah. So or that motorcycle. That's outside. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So from the looks of it. Uh, Michael Allen Nelson spent a chunk of time working on Cthulhu books. As well as on a couple other things with uh, Andrew Cosby, including Zombie Tales. Whatever those are. Also, Cthulhu Tales. Michael Allen Nelson did a lot of fucking work with Cthulhu, apparently. 
he apparently likes Cthulhu. Yeah. And then uh, Christian Dabari, uh, he worked on Enormous and Hoax Hunters. Is Enormous that uh, the, like just kind of random kaiju story where suddenly like people are just surrounded by giant animals and yeah. just trying to survive? Okay. Yeah. Uh, he also, uh, yeah, Dabari also worked on Ghost Cop and the Magdalena. Okay. I think I've heard about the last one, but not the first one. Yeah, it's part of the Top Cow, like, Darkness oh, Witchblade what? series. That shit. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Anywho. Yeah, uh, I recommend it. Right. Good God, those dogs. Must have heard the motorcycle started freaking out. Anywho. So I guess that's all we got to talk about for books. Uh, moving on news-wise. Um, yeah, just doing a quick like scan through to see if I can find anything of note. And the only thing that really stood out was something that I thought would get me really excited, but now just gets me slightly disappointed, but still kind of excited, but in a different direction. So, Black Sad. Uh, we have talked about this book on here a couple times. We're huge fans. Black Sad's amazing. Yes, it is. And we need goddamned more of it. I mean, at least it's not an ongoing story. It's just a series of interconnected stories, but we do want more. Yeah, and like, according to the internet, fucking volumes six and seven were supposed to have released in 2016. Well, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, but yeah, so going through new stuff, and I saw the and I saw the title "Black Sad Under the Skin" will release in September. Yay! And so I was just like, "Fucking yes, new goddamn book." Uh, no, it turns out it's a video game. What? <laughs> Black Sad is getting a video game. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh. So. Uh. Yeah. It's being made by a. Pendulous Studios, Is Entertainment, uh, YS Entertainment, and a studio called Microids. Yeah, it is a narrative-driven fucking game where you play as fucking John Blacksad. Is it going to be like a visual novel kind of thing? Uh. It seems like they're taking the idea. F it seems like they're taking like the basic structure from, like a, like a what is it like a Telltale style or like a fucking Life is Strange style modern adventure game. Okay. Where it is all completely they like their better. Yeah, where it's all completely like polygonal and it's like the entire it's all the world and stuff. Uh, it looks a bit odd, like they didn't super like like the art style didn't translate super well either just because of taking the 2D art style and making it 3D or just the way that they interpreted the art style. But Yeah, possibly either. Yeah, but it still has like the same kind of like, you know, hard-boiled 1950s noir story but with animals. I uh, yeah, the description of it reads, The 50s, New York City. Joe Dunn, owner of, a, owner of a boxing club, is found dead. 
Meanwhile, rising star Bobby Yale, due to, due, uh, due to take f- to the ring for the most important fight of his career, has mysteriously disappeared. Sonia Dunn, Joe's daughter, takes over the gym and must deal with his financial woes. She hires private detective John Blackside to investigate Yale's disappearance. With his anthropomorphic characters and his incredible 1950 feel, Black Sad Under the Skin delivers all the eerily dark adventure of a detective novel, just like the eponymous comic book series. While embodying Detective John Black Sad, players will have to conduct this adventure in their own way. Depending on their decisions, players will influence the relationship between Black Sad and the other characters, as well as the very end of the investigation. So, yeah. Uh, that, 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 so, that game's coming out uh, September 26th. And they also have shown off the collector's edition of it, which will include a portfolio, a fucking like you know art art book kind of thing, a and a resin statue of John Blacksad. Uh, cool. Games coming, games coming to PS4, Xbone, Switch, PC, Mac, and will be dubbed in English, French, and Spanish, with subtitles in English, French, Italian, German, Spanish, and Dutch. Okay, I will. I probably won't buy. I I might try it after it's been released and people a few people have reviewed it. But I don't. I I like the Black Sad stories. I'm not sure I like it enough to blind buy a video game. I will probably end up buying it. Probably blind, but like, or more likely, like four days after it came out, because that's when I get paid. And then I will probably play it on the video game for the for the video for the YouTube. You can use that as your fucking barometer. Watch, check out, check out Let's Play. I'll probably be doing that, but you can just fucking poop on that. Eh? Yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. Unless you have any news. I well, like- uh, I don't know if you talked about this with Caveman on the movies podcast, but uh, they Warner Brothers dropped the trailer for Swamp Thing. Right at the same time that they announced that Warner Brothers, due to creative differences with DC Comics, was going to cut Swamp Thing's production budget by three episodes. <laughs> we talked about it a bit, just like the I, just like you know, looking at the trailer, looking at this, and thinking of the series itself. We didn't get into the more uh, production side of things. Fair enough. I just think it's stupid. Yeah, we also talked about more about the health of the DC Universe app itself. Which it isn't. Yeah, with the idea of, like, hey, yeah, if they put out, like, fucking one more quality series, this fucking platform might actually justify its own existence. Yeah, what it, what's, what's sad is I think Warner Brothers thought that Titans would be the big seller of the DC Universe app, and they Which, were clearly wrong. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really fucking weird. Like that's all I can figure, like... Doom Patrol, they weren't certain about this. Titans, well, that's an established property. We're doing the tone and kind of story people like for DC stories. This will certainly sell well. Why is this not selling? Yeah, like like they were they were they were trying so hard to put Titans over, and then Doom Patrol just fucking kicked the door in. Like Doom Patrol is literally everything that Titans isn't. Like it is a. It is a modern interpretation of a beloved fucking franchise. Uh, Doom Patrol is still Doom Patrol is a lot more cult than the Titans, but they are still beloved in their own fucking circles. And yeah, they do that thing. Titans vastly misunderstands their fucking their fucking source material and what people liked about it. Doom Patrol 
they know. Like, A, they know what the characters are, and B, they know how to update them for fucking modern times. Like, fuck, man. Danny the Street is kind of perfect for today. Just, hey, here's this fucking sentient street where a bunch of weirdos hang out. Also, that is talking about Doom Patrol a bit more, but fucking most recent most recent episode, they had a fucking Flint's Mentallo call out. Like Danny the Street gave him a fucking comic book that was supposed to explain like some of the story of what happened to the chief or whatever, or give them clues to where chief is. And they open the comic, and inside the comic, there's a fucking ad for there's a fucking ad for some kind of product Flens- Flex Mentala was a part of, but he's just gone. So the hero of the beach is out there with muscle power. Interesting. Just hanging out, doing shit, probably. Oh, they also introduced the Beard Hunter. Which, that was a whole other fucking thing. And also made him like a credible threat. Yeah, okay. Like, for those who don't know, the Beard Hunter is a joke. Yeah, like up there with uh, Cockahoop from Dial H. Yeah, just essentially, what if the Punisher was worse and hated beards? But then we get into this fucking uh, Beard Hunter, and what he can do is... If he eats, if he ingests someone's beard hair, he will get a fucking like direct line into their brain, know about their past, their present, what they think, and also are able to then counter all of their moves. Like cyborg, like, like fucking cyborg, he has like a bit of like face scruff just because you know doesn't really shave it or anything. Some a, f- a couple whiskers fell off. He snorted them and then was able to fight cyborg toe to toe. Huh. <laughs> yeah. She gets weird, dude. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to watch Doom Patrol. I just uh, hadn't gotten around to it yet. And oh, Titans, so left a bad ta- Titans left a bad taste in my mouth. This will clear it out, dude. I am telling you, it is amazing. All right. Anyway. Show, show, this week. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you all for joining us. We'll be back. So, point more of this shit. Until then, I'm dead. And I'm Birdie. And we'll see you guys next time.